You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we're going to be tonight in our, uh, for this sermon. And I'll tell you how I ended up in Ecclesiastes once we get into the message. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And um, I'm thankful for the good singing tonight. And that song with God, I love that song and I'm thankful. And really that song fits, in many ways it fits a lot of what, what we're teaching this week for Vacation Bible School, the, the theme is Mystery Island, um, but it's really about creation. It's about God's greatness. It's about, uh, you know, is there more than one God? Those kinds of thoughts. Those are the things going on in the lessons. And because it's about creation and yet it'll be about salvation as well, um, that song will fit just right with, uh, with the theme this week. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing that next Sunday morning again. It's a blessing. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. And the Bible says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth... And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. That is a very obvious statement, is it not? And that's the point that he's making. We'll talk about that. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. This passage was uh, something that was brought to my attention this week. And I couldn't get away from it. And I, I think there is something here that will be a help to us. Um, especially you know, a week like this with Bible school and all the investments that we're making. And you don't know which investments are going to bring return. And the idea of this passage is about investment. And, and yet with uh, a week like this, uh, you give and you give and you give. And sometimes you wonder, boy, is this making any difference? And yet there's a, there's a mindset here that I think will be a help to us as we work this week. But also especially the application will be um, in many ways uh, the application we've been dealing with on Sunday nights for the last few weeks. In that uh, outreach and our efforts in the Great Commission and the efforts in the gospel. Sometimes it feels like you're not making any headway. But the point is not that we make headway. The point is that we keep on investing. And I'd like to bring that point up. The, the idea, the title tonight is Do What It Takes. Do What It Takes. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I appreciate your standing. It's good to have the Howdy Geese in our service tonight. Brother Hugo, Miss Patty, Patty and uh, just celebrated the Spanish ministry. Just celebrated uh, their 23rd, 23rd anniversary um, last week. So that's a blessing uh, that the work is going on back there uh, the same time it's going on up here. We're so thankful to have them in our service tonight. Grateful that you're here. Um, this past week I was blessed to be at, um, it, at a meeting, I guess you might call it, or um, attend a conference called the Ministry Refresher Institute. And um, it's known as the MRI for short. Um, it was on the campus of Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City. And, and the MRI is a, is a special two-day get-together primarily focused on those in full-time ministry. And the idea is that there are, it's a recharge, it's a refresh for those that give in the ministry and 
work in the ministry or those that are looking to improve in some area of the ministry. And there are three different focuses. There's a, a track that speaks to pastors and youth pastors and associates. There's a track that speaks to the music directors. And then there's a track that speaks to the pastor and ministry wives as well. And both my wife and I were invited to speak at that. And, and it's very, I'll just say this, it is highly likely that we would not have attended um, if we had not been speaking based on the season that we're all in. There's a lot going on. Um, and yet God brings about those opportunities along uh, to give us opportunities to invest in other people at times. And, uh, and there are times that you, you feel like you ought to be involved in it. And this was one of those weeks. It's one of those opportunities that, um, that I certainly don't begrudge it when a pastor invests in me in that way. And when somebody else is willing to take his time to be a help and blessing to me. So because we had the opportunity, then we both took it. And Aaron and I spoke on Thursday morning both. Um, then I spoke again on Friday. And both afternoons we were in my least favorite thing. And that is a question and answer panel. Where you're sitting up there on the hot seat and with some other people. And you're being asked questions and you have no idea what the questions are going to be. And uh, you just don't want to say anything dumb. Okay, so Q&A panels are not easy. Needless to say, it was a full and busy couple of days. We left Wednesday morning, and uh, the sessions and everything were Thursday and Friday. And, uh, it, and Friday afternoon, we left to drive back here. Um, but really, more than just being busy, it was also a refreshing and helpful time away. Um, every session that I sat in was a help to me, a blessing to me. It was my first time to actually sit in the pastor sessions. Before, I was always in the music director sessions and... And it was just a help to hear from men that I respect and love and that have mentored and invested in me, to hear them talk about things that were a help in the ministry. And uh, one of the sessions was from Brother Sam Davison on Thursday morning, and uh, he was talking about his journey from being an isolated, independent Baptist that doesn't need any friends until after a while he realized that he better make some friends because he needs the fellowship with other men. And I thought, that's a valuable lesson. I need to hear that. Uh, Brother Davison is one of the great preachers in our generation. If you've ever heard him, then you know that. Uh, but both of his morning sessions really were more testimonies than anything else. And they were just extremely helpful. On Friday morning, Brother Davison talked about ministry philosophy, which was great and helpful. But in that session, he just briefly, for just a few minutes, he mentioned Ecclesiastes 11. And as he spoke and, and brought some things out in this passage... Um, then in my mind, uh, immediately as I was reading it, um, I, I knew that the Lord would have me to preach a message on this passage someday. Someday. And I thought, I'm going to file this one away, and uh, I will eventually come back to this and study it out and do some work on it. And, uh, and, and I would like to preach some thoughts that I saw as he was reading it. And so, you know, we got done with that session. We had a Q&A session. We got done about 3. We left campus about 3.40. And we started driving home. About two, Saturday, about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, we were getting into bed. We woke up, and Saturday morning, uh, we went blitzing for, for vacation Bible school, handed out flyers. And then Saturday, right after lunch, I was going to my office and says, man, I'm ready to study for Sunday. One of, those, one of those kind of weeks. So I sat down at my desk and I spent the afternoon uh, working on the message for this morning and got done. I went home and, and got home around, I don't remember, seven or so and, and we ate supper. And then I spent some time uh, playing ball with the kids and hanging out outside because you've got to do that too. And I hadn't been home all week and wanted to spend some time with them. About 9.15, I went back into the house and thought, okay, I want to go through my message one more time in the morning. I'm already done with James. I've got my message ready for James and I'm ready for that. So I sat down and at about 11 o'clock, I was wrapping up my AM sermon and I was ready to go to bed. And then Ecclesiastes came to mind. And I don't normally operate this way. I'm sitting in front of my computer and, and Ecclesiastes just kept coming. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11. So I said, you know what, I'm not, I know I'm not going to be ready to preach a message tomorrow night. 
Um, this is after 11 o'clock at this point. But I'm just going to start writing out some of my thoughts. Yep. Just going to write some of my thoughts and at least I'll have it on paper. And I'm not sleeping right now anyway. I might as well make use of the time. And so I sat at my computer and I began to type. And I don't really even know how long it took. I wasn't watching the clock Um, But this sermon is a product of that late night study session. And I have to say this, I cannot be held responsible for anything that gets said in the next 45 minutes. But with my recent preaching on the need to present the gospel and our need for a renewed commitment to outreach, there is a principle here that would not let me go. And with God's help, I, I would like to bring this message with application to what I've been dealing with the last several weeks on outreach, our answer to the Great Commission. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, which many believe to be Solomon, begins chapter 11 talking about investments. And he starts with this word cast. And uh, if you you study the word cast, I mean, if you read this at first, you think, what, what in the world is he talking about? Cast your bread on the water? If you leave bread in water, it's just going to get soggy. I don't want to find it after many days. It's gross. Well, that's not what he's talking about, obviously. You've got to think about some of the words and, and think about this. Well, the first word is the word cast. And that word cast means to send or stretch out. It means to dispatch. If you've ever been fishing, then you know what it means to cast. You know, you, you dispatch your hook, you dispatch your, your bait and the weight and the rig, you dispatch it into the water. If you've ever cast a fishing pole, then you know there's intensity when you cast. And I'm not a great fisherman, I'm not even a good fisherman, but as a kid, my dad fished a lot and I wanted to be around him. And so because I just, I mean, God obviously didn't give me the Midas touch with fish, then I decided I would be the best caster, at least, that I could be. So my goal, and I was actually much uh, more passionate about this than I was reeling in a fish, my goal was to cast my fishing, my, my fishing pole out into the water far, further than my dad. I knew that I had arrived when I could do that. Now, my dad, what I didn't realize is my dad is casting his pole into certain areas. I'm just trying to get it out into the middle of the lake as far as I can. Because I knew I won't bring anything in, but I can at least get it out there. But if you think about casting, then you know that when you cast a fishing pole, you don't just cast. If you're going to cast a fishing pole... And when I was a kid, my whole body got into it. I would fling a fishing pole. I mean, and I think that's a good word to think about the word cast is to, you fling it, you throw it. And the idea of cast here is to fling yourself into what you're doing. To throw yourself into what is ahead of you. Don't just kind of throw it out gently and put a little bit of effort to it. No, to cast the bread upon the waters is, is an investing idea. And we know that if this is Solomon writing, that he would have been rich and he would have had enough grain to make lots of bread. Lots of bread. But the idea is that if you only use your resources to make something that you can consume, then you are limiting yourself. The idea is that, uh, that he's saying, don't just take your resources and make bread and use it for yourself. No, take your resources and fling them out there. Cast them out there. If you have resources, fling it. Use it. Uh, and don't do it half-heartedly. If you're going to do it, do it all the way. And listen, and he's saying you can, make, you can use your grain to make all the bread you want. But if all you ever do is make bread to eat, um, you are wasting many of your resources. You could use that bread uh, to invest in something else. In it, for instance, if you need something else and you've got plenty of grain, you can take your grain and invest it and get something in return that you really need. So sending excess grain, for instance, uh, the idea is if you send excess grain on, on a boat to another country to trade for something that you don't have enough of, that is much, a much more invalu- or valuable investment than just making bread and eating it. 
You can use your resources to return something better than what you have. And, and when it says, thou shalt find it after many days, the idea is you're going to invest and, you, and get in, involved in investing spiritually. But you're not going to see the results right away. You're not going to see the return right away. The idea is you don't see the return immediately. You may, you may not even see it very soon. It may be weeks, more likely months, and maybe even sometimes years. And it's not just a literal phrase, it's a principle. If we are to assume that there's more application to this than what is simply written here, then I think it's safe to assume that this passage is in the context of us being willing to risk, take a risk to invest in something that may bring a great return. In many ways, he's talking about the idea of risk and reward. And the idea is that you can take what you have and hold on to it and enjoy it. Or you can take what you have and invest it and eventually see a greater return. The safe play is to take all your grain and make bread and eat it. The risky play is to take what you have and invest it in other people. And you may not see the return right away. You won't see it in a day. You won't see it in a week or a month or maybe even years. You may not ever see a return. But the idea is that you take what you have and you fling it out there. You cast it. You dispatch what you have so that you can one day experience something greater in return than you would have experienced just holding on to all that you have. That's the idea. And there are so many applications, and I'm thinking about Vacation Bible School this week. And honestly, you know what the safe play this week would be? Let's just have a normal week. The risky play is, let's open our church up to a uh, hundred kids, many of whom we don't know. And invite them into our lives and try to teach them Bible lessons and give them sugar. You talk about a risky play. Give them a snack and, 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 and give them popsicle sticks to build something out of. And it's amazing the weapons little boys can turn, make out of popsicle sticks. You know, the safe play is, you know what, let's just make this a normal week. Because we're all tired. But the risky play is, no, we have resources and we have people and we've got talent and we've got ability and we've got experience. And we've got people like Chris Ann who, for, you know, loves to think about the snacks and Sandy, strangely, that's, I mean, you're talking about yourself now. But Sandy, she loves the crafts and she came to me with these ideas and I'm like, how do you even think about that? It's so creative. We have people that love to teach children. We have people lo that love to, to invest in those that are going to watch the nursery for the workers. And, and you know what? It's honestly, it's, it's the safe play to say, no, let's not do VBS. It's the risky play to say, let's do VBS. Because the idea is if we have resources, why would we hold on to those? Let's invest it. And you know what? Someday our investment in, in, a, in a little third grade boy this week that we don't know could produce in him salvation. And he could grow up at Eastside and eventually go to Bible college and maybe then train to be in the ministry and come back as an intern or staff member. And who knows if in 30 years that little boy might be the next pastor of Eastside Baptist Church. You don't know. And that's the idea, is that you don't just take what you have and hold on to it. You take what you have and you fling it out there and see what happens. Well, how does this apply? Well, I'd like to apply it tonight to the gospel. And I'm looking around the room to people that have resources. You've got things to invest. Talents, abilities, knowledge, experience, know-how. Maybe even most importantly, you have a heart to invest in people. And the idea, again, is risk, reward. You can hold on to it or, and keep it or throw it out there. And in the lives of people, they, they need somebody to invest in them. To be a blessing. To fling yourself and your resources into the work of God. And I heard a phrase recently that made me think about this passage. Somebody mentioned just in passing. They said, you know what, you've got to do what it takes. And as I started thinking about that phrase and thinking about this passage and I put those two together, I thought, huh. 
In many ways, that describes what's happening in Ecclesiastes 11. There's a mindset here that says, you've got to do what it takes. See, in life, there are people that, that don't do anything. And they're not really motivated. You've met people like that before. They're perfectly fine with just sitting back and letting everybody else do all the work. Nothing drives me more crazy than when there is work going on and there are men working and, and teen guys standing in the corner watching. And men, we ought to teach and train our men, our young men, to never let work go on where they're not jumping in and saying, oh, I wanna, I'm going to help you. Some lady carrying something across the foyer or across the parking lot. There ought to be a group of young men running at her, maybe frightening her a little bit, but running toward her, saying, I will not let you carry that box the rest of the way. I'm going to come help you. I'm going to hold the door. We're going to be a blessing to you. That, that ought to be the, the mindset of the young men of Eastside Baptist Church. So you see a need and you go help with that need. And the idea is, you know, there, there are people that don't do anything and they're content with that. They're okay to not do anything and just to sit back and watch. There's another category of people and these are those that do just what's required. And the idea here, and, and listen, if you own a business, you have all these kinds of employees. You've got those that don't want to do anything. If you work a job, you've got those around you that don't want to do anything. You also have those around you that, that just do the minimum. They just do what's required. And, the, and they're doing something, but they're only doing what's necessary. They're doing the bare minimum. And at least they're not sitting on the couch. And at least they're not standing in the corner. But in the end, they simply do the bare minimum so they can get by. And these are those at, at work that just do enough to complete the project. Not well, but at least the project gets done. So you've got two categories of people. You've got on this side those that do nothing. And you've got over here those that do the bare minimum. Um, those that just do what they can to get by. But there's a third category of people here tonight that I want to focus on using this text. And that is the category of people that are willing to do what it takes. Because there's a difference. There are those that don't do anything. And there are those that do the minimum. But then there are those with this mindset that said, uh, listen, I, it doesn't really matter how hard it is or how long it takes me. It doesn't really matter uh, how much inconvenience I'm facing. I will do what it takes until the job gets done. And the idea in this phrase is that I will not settle for doing nothing. I won't settle for doing the bare minimum. I won't stop until the job is finished. Yesterday, VBS decorations, we were, you know, we were at, at Bible school flyers uh, handing out, getting ready for uh, blitzing. And, and, I, and I thought yesterday, I, I was like, man, we should put up some decorations for today. So I called Mark Rebel, who's over it. And of course, you know, he's, he's over it and then he leaves town, you know. <laughs> no, he did a lot of work to get ready for it. And, uh, and he, he, was, he had training already and... So I asked him to be over it knowing that he would have other people carrying out for him. And so we're over here. And uh, after I talked to him, I said, is there a way that we could put some decorations up for tomorrow? I want to build some interest. I want to build some excitement. I'd love to have some decorations up. I mean, who doesn't want palm trees in the middle of the sanctuary? And he said, sure. I mean, I don't think it would take that long, but you just got to talk to these people. So I went to Brother Floth, Jim Floth, and... And I started asking him about it. And I said, uh, you know, is there a way we could do this? What do you think? And, and you know, Jim is, that, is the kind of guy um, that, and he's told me this. We've talked about it. He's just this, he says, Pastor, you know, my answer is whatever you need. And if you've been around Brother Jim, then you know that's the truth. And, I, and, and maybe if you, you've also probably noticed that Brother Jim is walking like this these days. Because he's got a bad back. But Brother Jim Floth is a do-what-it-takes kind of guy. Because was it inconvenient? Probably. They were up here Saturday afternoon working on it. Is he in pain? Probably. 
Did he have something else he could have done? But his answer was, Pastor, you know my answer. Whatever is needed. See, you know people in all three categories. You know those that are not willing to do anything. And you know those that are just willing to do whatever it takes to get by. But then you know that there are those that say, it's, it's whatever it takes. I will get the job done. There are those that say, this thir- in this third category, this category we're looking at um, tonight, the category that says, I, will st- I won't stop at nothing, and I won't stop at the minimum. I won't stop till the job is done. And if that means it stay, I stay late, I'll do it. If it means I work harder, I'll do it. If it means I'm inconvenienced, I'll do it. If it means I give a Saturday morning to hand out flyers uh, and, and reach some young kids for vacation Bible school, I'll do it because that's what it takes. I will do what it takes. Amen. And there are some people that fling themselves into the work of God. There are some people that fling themselves into their jobs. They fling themselves into their hobbies. They fling themselves into, uh, into playing ball. They fling themselves into fishing and they fling themselves into these things. But the longer I observe church life, the more convinced I am that those that fling themselves into the work of God, that are willing to do whatever it takes, they are becoming a rare breed. And I don't, I don't believe that's true about Eastside. We've got those that are willing to do what it takes. But I am telling you this, there aren't, many more, there aren't many people out there these days that fling themselves into the work of God like they're flinging themselves into their jobs. And if you're going to do what it takes for God, I'm telling you, like we talked about this morning, if you're just standing where you've always stood, church culture is moving over here. And there are those that aren't doing what it takes. I mean, they're just coming to church to be entertained sometimes. They're not investing. They're not working. They're not serving. And I'm thankful that at Eastside, it's not that kind of a church. But I want to warn you tonight and and address you tonight with this thought that there are, the, the norm is not do what it takes. And I don't want us to lose that spirit. I don't want us to lose the idea that, you know, well, okay, we'll just do what it takes to get by. That's not what Eastside Baptist Church is built on. And so while church culture is trying to get us probably to go their way, we need to say, no, we're going to stay right here. We're going to be the kind of church that does what it takes. I was thinking about this in reference to outreach. And I wonder, are we, I know we're willing to do what it takes in a lot of ways, in a lot of areas, and we've got teachers that do what it takes, and and we've got trustees that do what it takes, and we've got people in ministry, but I wonder, are we though willing to do what it takes when it comes to reaching souls? What category does the average member of Eastside fall under when it comes to outreach? Remember the three categories, you've got those that do nothing and you've got those that do the minimum and then you've got those willing to do what it takes which category do you fall under when it comes to reaching the souls of of men and ladies and children are you do nothing and or do the minimum or do what it takes Because the number of lost souls is growing exponentially faster than the numbers of those being saved. The numbers of those lost souls is growing much faster than those that you could call disciples. And if we're going to be stewards of the gospel in our community and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in in our schools, then we must get out of the do nothing and out of the bare minimum categories and say, we've got to do what it takes. So how does Solomon explain the mindset of do what it takes? Because he gives us some mindsets here and and these will be helpful, I believe, to you. Look at verse 2. Well, he says, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. But verse 2, give a portion to seven, and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. See, the idea is is that he's saying, 
uh, if you're going to send out seven ships full of grain to go trade and return in your investment, why not? Why stop at seven? Send out eight. See, you might as well do eight shipfuls of grain on the water because you don't know what's going to happen to each of those ships. And the idea is that you might as well fling yourself into the work. Don't stop at one. Don't stop at two. Don't stop at seven or eight. Do what it takes because you don't know if any of those boats are going to reach their destination. You don't know if any of your effort is going to produce returns. So what Solomon says is, number one here, do what it takes even if it seems like too much. Do what it takes, even if it seems like too much. And, and I, these would be good if you take notes and you're looking for something to write down. I don't always preach with an outline to give you. I preach with an outline for me. But sometimes there's, a, there's some good help here. Do what it takes, even if it seems like too much. Why? Because most doors are going to reject your message. And as you're involved in telling people, most people are going to ignore that track. Most streets are going to produce no fruit. So you don't stop at one or two simply because you've done a, the work and a little bit of a job. No, you don't even stop at three or four and you shouldn't stop at even seven or eight. You don't stop until all the streets are done because that's doing what it takes. Oh, what does he say you should do? Uh, you know, why does he say you should do what it takes even if it seems like too much? Well, because we know there will be no shortage of evil in this world. You know, don't stop at seven or eight. Thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And if you, unless you've had your head buried in the sand, then it's very clear that evil, there is no shortage of it on our planet. I was telling our Sunday school class this morning that, that uh, the Hardys and us, uh, we, we went to church in Stillwater with, this, with a family, the Torres family, and and their little girl, nine or ten years old, was in one of the classrooms in Uvalde that got shot up in Texas a couple weeks ago. She's laying next. She, I saw a Fox News interview, and we know them, Reuben and Jamie and, and Chloe, their little girl. We used to go to church with them. And she's talking about this story, and she's a, a little girl, and she's saying, and I was sitting there next to my friend, and he came by, and he shot my friend. And then he walked away and my friend kept making noise. He came back. And then he walked into the other room and he shot the other room. And then when they left that room, then I went to the room to see. And she's talking about the, the bodies that she saw. And she's a little nine, ten-year-old girl who should never speak. And she doesn't know. She should never, though, have to speak that casually. About that kind of suffering. And yet there she was talking about it like she would be relaying a story about how she fell and broke her arm. And it just struck me that there is no shortage of evil in this world. And I knew that before but now it's really personal. And you know why you need to do what it takes? Because I'm telling you this, Satan is not stopping and evil, there is not an end to it. There's no shortage until Jesus comes back and makes things right. There's not a shortage of evil. And yet God's people have an attitude that says, well, I've done enough. Well, no, there is not enough to be done. Because Satan's not stopping. There's no shortage of evil. So there should be no, we should never get to the place where we're like, this is plenty. That's the idea. We must do what it takes even if it seems like too much. Verse 3. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. And what he's saying is there are some things in life that constantly change. Clouds constantly change. They come in, they might empty themselves of rain and move on, or they come in and they're gone, they dissipate, they fill up with rain, they drop rain, but they're constantly moving and they're constantly changing. There are also some things that are permanent. When a tree falls in its spot, that's where it's going to stay. So there, are, there is constant change and there are things that are permanent. And what he's saying is that you should do what it takes, even if it seems like there are things you can't change. 
See, some people don't get involved because they feel like they can't change their personality enough to be effective in outreach. So they say, well, I'm just not going to get involved. I can't change that. No, some people don't get involved uh, because they feel like they can't, well, we can't reach a city this size. So they, they don't make an attempt. They don't, make, they don't attempt to make a difference. They don't try. Some people don't get involved because they don't think that somebody is going to receive their message and see their life change. So they just don't do it. And there are some things that are constantly changing. And there are some things that always will be the same. You can't predict what's changing. And you can't change what's permanent. But you can be faithful no matter what. That's the idea. You do what it takes, even if it seems like there are things you can't change. This week, we will be investing in these children. And like the clouds dropping rain, they're going to be all over the place. There are things that you can't fix in a week. There are things that you think, man, they're not listening at all. Well, the Bible says you don't do what it takes um, if you can control all the variables. No, you do what it takes. Whether or not you can change anything, you just keep doing what it takes. It's not your job to change things. It's your job to do what it takes. Verse 4, he says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Verse 4 is about those of us that overanalyze everything. Are you one of those? And you overthink everything? There will be some farmers who look out the window and they say, well, no, the wind's not right, so I'm not going to plant today. Or they look out the window and they look at the clouds and they say, well, there's not rain coming. I don't like to look at that, so I'm not going to plant today. I'm going to wait. It sounds like my wife and I, when we're trying to decide if we're going to go running or not, and we're looking at the Weather Channel app and we're just praying that the wind is above a certain speed because we don't run when it's blowing hard. You know, if you wait till the conditions are perfect, you're never going to do it. Do what it takes even if it doesn't make sense. In the moment. If you wait till the conditions are right, you'll never go out on right outreach. I mean, listen, if you're going to wait to go and knock doors on Saturdays, like we're trying to do this, Sunday, this summer, if you're, trying to, if you're going to go do that, and you're waiting until you have a completely free Saturday with not one other obligation to take care of, then you will not go out. Because there will always be something on your to-do list. I mean, in the same way, I think about children, you know, young couples, and they're talking about having children, and they say, you know, we're going to wait until we have this much amount saved up, and we're going to wait until the, our conditions are perfect to have a child. And listen, if you're waiting till your conditions to have a child are perfect, you guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to have a child. People wait till the perfect time, and and they say, well, I'm just waiting till everything comes together. Listen, it's not ever going to be perfect. It's not ever going to come together. And if you can make sense of it all and operate that way, then I'm wondering, where's the faith in life? Because there will be times where you are just, it's time to step out on faith. It's time to just act. Don't wait till the conditions are perfect. Do what it takes, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. Verse 5, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Maketh all. You, you may not know how God's spirit works in people's lives. Uh, you don't know, you don't have all the spiritual answers. Uh, you may not even know how a child develop, develops in the womb of the mother. Okay? That's a miracle as well. But the thought is this, you do what it takes whether or not you understand how it's going to work. You do what it takes, number four, whether or not you understand how it's going to work. See, many people wait to get involved in the Great Commission because they don't feel like they have all the knowledge they need to go out and talk to people about the gospel. And if you're waiting to be the smartest person about the Bible before you get involved in outreach, guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to get involved in outreach. 
Because you're never going to be the smartest person about the Bible. And you're never going to have the most knowledge. And you're never going to have every answer. But what you can do is have faith in God's help and trust in his spirit. That when you, somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to. That he will provide the answer you need in that moment. He even tells his disciples he'll do that. You're gonna, you've got to leave your comfort zone if you're waiting till you have all the answers. Verse 6. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. You see, what he's saying is you don't know which seeds are going to take root. You don't know which seeds will produce fruit. You don't know which soil is prime to be the most productive. You don't know if they're both going to be bad. And you don't know if they're both going to be good. But, but Solomon's message is this, number five. You do what it takes whether or not you ever see results. Do what it takes whether or not you ever see results. Our responsibility is effort. God's responsibility is fruit. And you may, may never see the fruit you desire and that you expect and that you want. And that seed may never take hold in somebody's life, but you can't do anything about that. What you can do something about, though, is to make sure the gospel seed gets planted in somebody's life. Do what it takes, even if it seems like too much, even if there's some things you can't change, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, even if you don't understand how it's going to work, and even if you never see results. Do what it takes. In outreach, for sure. But listen, we've got Sunday school teachers. In teaching, don't just do the minimum. Don't wait till 11 o'clock on a Saturday night to write a message. I was hoping you'd get that. In singing, don't be the one not singing. I look out and I see some of our young guys, too cool to sing. Get over yourself. Don't be the one not singing. Don't just get by. Don't do nothing. In greeting people, maybe we have guests all over the place this morning. Do what it takes to make sure every guest feel, feels welcome. And you're going to say, well, that's not my job. I'm not on that team. And, and, you know, that's not really my responsibility. That's the whole point of this message. The idea is not that, we're, uh, that we wait till somebody else does it, that we're just going to do nothing or do the bare minimum. The idea is that we need a church full of people that say, I know it's not my job, but I'm going to do what it takes. See, the point is that every guest feels welcome. And if nobody else does it and you do, that's what you do. You've got to do what it takes. You've got to be willing to step out of your, outside of yourself and outside of your comfort zone and say, I know it's not necessarily my responsibility, but it is my responsibility because I'm a member of Eastside Baptist Church who has decided I'm going to do what it takes. Tonight's, listen, this is just kind of a heart to heart. I've preached four messages on the need for the gospel. I've preached for about a month on how to talk and, and what kind of heart and effort is required. And everybody will say amen. And, and we're excited and we know it's true. We'd say amen to the fact that we're responsible to reach our community. But I would submit to you that there are those at Eastside who are not doing what it takes. Let me just ask you tonight again, which category do you fit into when it comes to the gospel? The do nothing, do the minimum, or do what it takes. And if we're going to be stewards of this moment in time in our community that's growing and desperately needs the gospel in a time in our country where people are searching for answers, and it, it isn't going to have a, if they're not going to hear a clear presentation from most churches or most people in our city, then if we believe we have the message and we believe we have the opportunity, then it is time for us to go from do nothing and do the minimum and start saying, I'm going to do what it takes. Are you willing to give up two hours a week to be involved in the Great Commission? You say, well, I don't have two hours a week. Hey, I understand that. But that's not the do what it takes attitude we're talking about. I think we probably could justify a lot more than two hours, honestly. What I'm asking is that every man in this church takes a look at himself and says, you know what, I need to do what it takes. 
that every person in a position of leadership says, I need to do what it takes. That every person who desires to be a disciple of Christ, who wants to please God, has a calling and responsibility to the Great Commission. And you're sitting here saying, I will do what it takes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. There are always adversaries. There are always reasons that we can't do this and we can't do that. And every, Do you know, though, that every person that's involved on a weekly basis in outreach has something else they could be doing? We've got to get past this thought that, you know, I'm busier than, than others and, and we in the end say it doesn't really matter what I'm doing because there should be nothing that, that supersedes my calling as a disciple from Jesus Christ in the area of the Great Commission. And, and you might say, I just can't come out to the organized time. Okay, when's the last time you took a stack of tracks from Eastside and you handed them out to the people you came across? Because you may not be able to come out. I get that. You may not. So, but are you saying, though, if you can't come out to organized outreach, then you're just going to be content to sit here in this category? The do nothing category. No, that's not what we're talking about. So you can't maybe come out to organized outreach and you can't be out on Saturday mornings, but you've got to do something. Do what it takes. And, and you might say, I can't go out physically. And I get that. So when's the last time that you prayed for the outreach efforts of those involved in the Great Commission? Because you may not be able to go out, but you can pray. And both are essential to the gospel plan. Like yesterday in our meeting, and I was talking about that, the God, that prayer and, and the, taking the gospel are like two oars in a boat. And if you get in the boat and all you have is the effort but no prayer, it's like using one oar. And what are you going to do if you use one oar? You're going to go in circles. Well, but if you, have, if you have only prayer but you never put in the effort and you're using this oar now, what are you going to do? You're going to go in circles. You know what we need when it comes to the gospel? We need the, the ministry of prayer. And we need the ministry of effort. We need both oars in the boat moving together to take us along and get us where we believe and hope and pray that God would allow us to be. For the vast majority of us, though, it's just time to get out of the, this category, get out of this category and say it's time to do what it takes. Here's why. See, it's not about your pastor. And it's not about growth. Although we should want to see, honestly, we should, we should want to see as many people as possible. We should, I mean, Jesus Christ said, listen, if they're not going to listen, you go into the highways and the byways and you compel them to come in. Because Jesus Christ's thought was, I want as many as possible to be changed by the gospel. But it's not just about numbers. And it's not just about uh, the, the members and our success. And it's not about bragging rights. And I know churches, they'll put notches on their belt. They'll have a contest and say, whoever wins the most this year, you get this award. No, we're not doing that. That's not the idea. No, the reason we should be doing what we're doing and saying, I'll do what it takes, is because I want you to evaluate the kind of God we serve. See, when it comes to his reaching people, was he a do-nothing kind of God? Well, I think that'd be an absurd thing to say because God sent his only son into the world to die for the sins of men so they could have eternal life. So he's certainly not a do-nothing kind of God. Well, is he a do-the-bare-minimum kind of God? Well, I also think that's an absurd thing to say because Jesus Christ himself said, I have come that, you might, that they might have life and that they might have life what? More abundantly. So Jesus didn't come thinking, I'm just going to give you the bare minimum. No, he says, I want to give you everything. 
So we serve a God that's not in the do-nothing category, and he's not in the do-bare-the-bare-minimum category. No, we serve a God that says, I will do what it takes. In the garden, Jesus Christ, as he prayed and he cried out to his Father, he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, thy will be done. You know what he was saying? I will do what it takes. I will go to the cross. I will endure this suffering. I will endure this shame. I will go as far as you, Father, want me to go because I will do what it takes for the souls of men. So listen, if it's hard for you to accept the mindset, I just want you to look no further than the kind of God that we serve, the kind of Savior that we have. He is a do-what-it-takes kind of God, and therefore I must be a do-what-it-takes kind of disciple. I will be a do-what-it-takes kind of Sunday school teacher. I'll be a do-what-it-takes kind of usher. I'll be a do-what-it-takes kind of musician. I'll be a do-what-it-takes kind of choir member. I'm going to do what it takes this week at Bible school. I want to be a do-what-it-takes kind of pastor. Brother Samuel wants to be a do-what-it-takes kind of staff member. I mean, listen, we're all in the same position. We serve a God who did what it takes. And we ought to want to do what it takes to serve him in return. Let's not settle for do nothing or simply do what's required. We have a do what it takes Savior. And we have a community of people that are worth our effort. And if God so loved them that he went to the links he did, and I love God for going to those links that he did, then I should be willing to go to whatever links are required to let them know, hey, you have a do what it takes kind of God. This week is a do-what-it-takes kind of week. But nothing we do for God can repay what he's done for us. When it comes to serving God, let me just ask you again, what category are you in? Do nothing, do the minimum, or do what it takes. And I think the message is clear, and we need some self-examination. Have you not been doing anything to serve? Have you just been getting by? It is time for people that have enjoyed the benefits of a do-what-it-takes kind of father to start doing what it takes in return. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I hope you're a do-what-it-takes kind of church member. A do-what-it-takes kind of disciple. A do-what-it-takes with the Great Commission. A do-what-it-takes kind of friend. A do-what-it-takes kind of teenager. What do we need some do-what-it-takes kind of teenagers? Listen, teens, your generation is doing nothing or doing the minimum and you'll stand out if you do what it takes. I would encourage you tonight to seek the Lord and ask him, just say, examine me, and God, if there's an area in my life that I, for you, have not been doing what it takes, would you show me and help me to take steps to rectify that because you're a do-what-it-takes kind of father. Lord, we need you and we love you and we thank you for the truth and thank you for the, the reception and the attention of your people, Lord. And, and I know it's a heavy thought, a big subject, and yet I think these are the kinds of thoughts that will propel us from where we are to where we ought to be. So God, we're asking for your help in this invitation. Work in us as you will in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.